0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, LRT. Again? Can we just build it, please? And a new poll by Angus Reid says the majority of Canadians support mandatory vaccinations for kids going to school, but we're not doing it. And the author of The Claws of the Panda talks about Chinese interference in Canadian institutions like universities. It's all coming up on The Scott Thompson Show. Thanks again for listening. Uh, due to uncertainty over the fate of the LRT project, I guess since the land purchasing of land and such has uh, come to a halt at this point, and... Uh, no signs of moving forward many developers are slowing down on projects along the lrt route corridor uh, this is glenn norton uh, director of economic development for the city until this council has a final decision and the th- provincial government has uh... Proceeding to fund again, nobody is believing that the LRT is coming. So those who started to have pretty much stopped. You, you know, projects that we started talking to people and said, I'm coming here because of the LRT, they've pretty much stopped because they're not convinced that it will happen. All right, let's bring in Ryan Mcgrill editor, raise the hammer. He's with us now. Ryan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
1: Hey, Scott, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. So what do you think? Uh, obviously not positive news coming from uh, Glenn Norton.
1: Well, I think, I mean, Glenn Norton, look, he knows what he's talking about. This is a a very experienced uh, Mm city official. uh, He's got a really strong grounding in Hamilton's business community. This guy is the real deal. He really knows what he's talking about, and he's sending us a clear message. Delay, indecision, um, uh, politicking, these have a real cost for us. As citizens, as taxpayers, there's an opportunity cost. The delays scare off investors. Investors like a stable, reliable, consistent environment. They like knowing that if a government says they're going to do something that's an infrastructure investment, they're going to follow through with it. The more we dither, the more we waste time, the more we wring our hands, the more we grandstand and kick the football around and make noise and play to prejudices and all this stuff, the more we are leaving money on the table. We're we're scaring away businesses. That's a story I think we've heard before at Hamilton.
0: Yeah, and I was just about to say nothing new there. Uh, So what can the city do at this point? Um, Obviously, uh, the land purchases uh, through the province, that has been put on hold. Any update there?
1: Uh, not not that I've heard. Um, my understanding is that the mayor, um, Fred Eisenberger, has a, a meeting planned with the transportation minister for some time in March. Uh, that obviously needs to happen. I think, you know, if the city is not lobbying hard to the province right now to get this thing moving again, they should be, uh, starting with the mayor. The mayor is the city's representative at Queen's Park. Um, he also needs to, uh, you know, and I know this won't be enjoyable for either of them, but he needs to sit down with our local MPP, Donna Skelly, who is the only member of the uh, governing party who sits in a Hamilton riding. Uh, They need to sit down together. Now, it's challenging because uh, MPP Skelly has been an active opponent of this project from the time that she was a city councillor. You know, the mayor may have concluded that there's not really any point in talking to her because she doesn't actually have any interest in seeing this project go ahead. But, um, you know, at some point he has to talk to somebody at Queen's Park and say, look, you guys have done the research you know that this is a net positive for the city in terms of the economy. You're supposed to be open for business. You're supposed to be a pro-business party. This is a chance to act on that, to make this investment. And really, there's no money coming off the government's books. Because as we've talked about in the past, this is a project that's going to be financed by the consortium that gets the contract to do it. So there's no hit to the government's bottom line. This will be financed and paid for over the course of the project, by new growth and ridership that the project itself delivers. So it's going to be paying for itself over the 30 years. Uh,
0: Glenn Norton said, said something that was, uh, you know, no one is uh, believing it's going to go through. Um, how much, how, how many, what percentage, what, is, is, that the, is that the majority? Is it uh, the minority? Is it some just concerned because of the delays and trying to apply pressure? How much of a concern is this? Well, these
1: business decisions, I mean, big business investment
0: decisions, they all happen at the margins,
1: right? And if you're looking at a project and you're thinking, okay, if this goes ahead and if we get this financing and if we can sell this many units at this price and if we're, you know, authorized to do this many stories, we can make this much money. But if one of those pieces is not there, then the whole project is not there. So they're waiting for the confirmation to happen. You know, they're, they don't have the confidence that, yes, this is definitely going to happen. You know, I, I think... Honestly, I think it still will. I think in the fullness of time, we will get through this hurdle as we have others, and we will build this thing, but it'll take longer than it needs to, because it's already taken longer than it needs to. Mm. And uh, developers, you know, I think, you know, from a, a prudent perspective for themselves, are waiting to see how this all shakes out. In the meantime, we're leaving housing on the table, we're leaving new commercial developments on the table, we're leaving new tax assessment on the table. The city is the real loser here.
0: Uh, Any reason to believe it won't happen other than the delay in in, uh, obviously moving forward on land purchases and such? I mean, the only reason why it won't happen is that big transformational projects are always
1: hard to do. There's always resistance. There's always fear. There are a lot of obstacles that can get in the way. You know, at any point somebody can say, you know what, I'm done. I'm pulling the plug on this. Um, That's always a risk of any large project, but if we let that fear stop us from trying to do things, we'd still be driving around and, you know, actually we'd be riding horses on dirt roads. I mean, at a certain point, we have to decide, yes, this is going to be hard. Yes, there are going to be roadblocks, and it's going to be bumps and challenges and delays and all of these things, but we're going to push through and we're going to finish it anyway, because for once in our lives as a city, we have to finish something that we started.
0: Uh, many way back when concerned over need and want for all this. Clearly, if businesses are concerned and, and, and people like Glenn Norton are speaking up uh, and, and suggesting that the delaying is, is, is making uh, some feel a little nervous about that. I mean, shouldn't that alleviate any concern that this is backed by business, by development, and that it will lead to the things that people are, are, are talking about and have been for years?
1: Well, hopefully. And the fact that developers are speaking out, you know, and the fact, frankly, that Glenn Norton is speaking out as a, as a city staffer, he's taken courageous move by speaking, you know, the honest truth to uh, the committee on, on Tuesday night. You know, he, um, you know, there's, you know, again, we have a culture of fear in the city where people are afraid to say what they think. And, you know, uh, staff try to couch everything because they don't want to upset councillors. And, of course, we see what happens at the extreme end of that where staff actually hide information that's damaging uh glenn norton is a person of integrity he respects council and he respects the citizens of the city enough to say the truth by us stalling and delaying and and mucking about with this we're costing money and the developers are speaking up now too saying yeah i'm holding off i'm waiting to see what you guys are going to do i'm not sure you can actually deliver you go to waterloo region their lrt is you know the Like any big project, there have been some delays. It's taken a little longer to get it started. There's been a major issue with trying to get their uh, rolling stock from Bombardier in a timely fashion. But they've already got $2.4 billion in new tax assessment along that LRT corridor. We don't have to go far to see how well this works.
0: I remember talking to the mayor uh, a while ago and, and uh, pro- probably after the last uh, last election campaign and, and saying, you know what a uh, provincial election campaign and, and say what and said what's next like Ba blah ba and he, he alluded to a mayor, a meeting with the premier as soon as possible. That was way back when now we're finding out uh, March, will the premier actually be at that meeting? Uh, again, is this just another delay?
1: Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know. I mean, I'm not privy to that kind of information. Uh, I've I've I read in today's paper that the meter, uh, sorry, the mayor is planning on meeting with uh, the transportation right. minister, who is you know the minister is a member of the cabinet, and uh, and they are the the government lead person on this file. So, when the transportation minister signs off on this, you know we can assume that the government has signed off on it. So, if if the premier has empowered uh, his minister to do that then hopefully that meeting should be able to move this thing forward. You know, at least the mayor can figure out what the logjam is and start politically working on getting it cleared.
0: Now, I understand that the province put a hold on the purchase of any lands in regard to to all projects uh, until they figured out, uh, you know, until they got their feet wet, I guess, per se. That being said, uh, lots of time has passed. Any chance on uh, that perhaps rather than waiting for that decision regarding the whole province that 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 hamilton would get some special exemption on that and just yeah go ahead we know what you guys are are, are doing keep rolling
1: yeah i mean that's it's and it's entirely up to the province to decide they own this project they uh you know they are calling all the shots you know they can they make the rules uh and if they want to follow different rules they can just change the rules and, and follow those rules instead so there's really no procedural or governmental reason why the province can't lift this and get the project. You know, I mean, they're, it looks like they put a hold on on somewhat of a case-by-case basis, so they can take it off on a case-by-case basis as well.
0: Do you think Glenn Norton speaking up like this gets the attention of the province?
1: I sure hope so. Uh, I hope it also gets the attention of council. You know, our councillors uh, think that they can get away with stalling and grandstanding and playing political games and that it's all just a big game to them and it's not. There are real costs, there are real impacts, Uh, there are real uh, detrimental results that affect their ability to govern this this city. You know, I mean, the amount of money they have to work with in terms of the the city's tax base is going to govern what they can fund, how much tax increases they have to approve, you know, what kind of projects they have to look at cutting or at adding. You know, they are hurting their own ability to govern effectively by stalling on this project.
0: Uh, as you said, the mayor hoping for a meeting in late March. Do we know if anything's been penciled in at all? Do we know if anything's been set?
1: That I don't know for sure. Um, you know, I only know what I read in the paper, unfortunately. Um, hopefully that that's a real thing. Maybe we can get that moved up a little bit. You know, again, I'm, I'm not in the, the mayor's office, so I don't know uh, what he and his staff are doing internally to work with the province. I know certainly the mayor had a good relationship with the previous provincial government, And uh, that was, you know, one of the deciding factors that uh, caused that government to decide that it was time for them to move forward on the project that they themselves had, uh, you know, already asked the city to prepare a plan for. This is a new government, new priorities. Um, You know, everything is sort of politically up in the air a little bit, but we have had a clear message from the premier that if this is what Hamilton wants, then this is what Hamilton's going to get. Mm -hmm. He said it again after the municipal election. He said, well, you know, Mr. Mayor... He goes, you won the election fair and square. If you want an LRT, you're going to get an LRT. I think we need to hold them to that. And I think uh, we need to make sure that they follow through on that promise. Uh,
0: do you think that, um, th- do you think there's a chance that, that council could still beat this project into submission? I mean, are there still those on council that are just hoping to delay this and, until nothing happens? I mean, especially I w- especially when you've got Glenn Norton, who you said is very well respected in the city, coming out, talking about, hey, this thing is generating revenue for us already, and now it's, it's, it's stalled. I mean, what more proof do we need that this is an advantage for the city?
1: Yeah, I mean, not, not to mention the fact that council has voted and decided. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when you're on a board of directors, you have a fiduciary responsibility to the organization that you're on the board for. And if there's a vote and if you vote against doing something, but that project moves ahead anyway, you now have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that that project is successful, even if you voted against it before it happened. And we obviously are not seeing that level of professional responsibility from some of our counselors.
0: So we know there's uh, tentatively a, med- a meeting scheduled, or hopefully for the end of March. Now that uh, Glenn Norton has spoken out uh, on this, what do you expect to happen between now and then? What should Council be doing?
1: I think Council should be speaking up loud and clear to say, uh, we've uh, we approved this. We're starting to get affected by it. Um, you know, this is actually costing us money. I think Council needs to recognize that this project has gone too far to just wash their hands and say, well, it's not really up to us anymore. They own this project now. They need to see it through to completion, and they need to make sure that it's successful. You know, this is a lot of money on the line, and council has a really profound responsibility to today's residents and to tomorrow's residents and to 50 years from now's residents to make sure that we don't screw this thing up. You know, what do they want as their legacy? Do they want to be remembered as the people who dropped the ball on a billion-dollar opportunity? I don't think so.
0: Do you think council's using the government to pull the plug on this? You know, just uh, you know, we're we're not really interested. Blah blah blah. Or 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 there's confusion by holding votes that have been that have been held time and time again. Uh, do you think they're just looking to blame the premier for this?
1: I'm sure there are, there are members of council who would love nothing more. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, this is going to be this is going to be a hard project to see through. There's going to be some construction challenges. There's going to be some traffic challenges. There's going to be some logistical challenges. There's going to be, um, a, it's going to generate a, a lot of complexity that council is going to have to manage. I'm sure there are people on council who are like, you know what? The status quo is working out pretty good for me. I'd be just as happy if we just leave things the way they are. Hmm. But that's not why we elected them. It's not their job. Their job is to bring the city into the future. Their job is to make things better. Their job is not to make their jobs easier.
0: It'll be fascinating to see uh, where this information from from Glenn Norton ends up and uh, if it helps grease the wheels and gets things moving. Ryan, thanks so much for the time, as always. Much appreciated. Thank you. Likewise. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A poll by the Angus Reid Institute shows that the majority of Canadians support mandatory vaccines for for kids going to school. Uh, It's amazing that, again, special interest seems to drum up so much publicity with all of this. Another well-organized group that that appears we we keep having the same debate over and over and over again. Uh, Let's bring in Dave Korzynski, research associate, Angus Reid Institute, and is on the line with us now. Dave, thanks for the time. Uh, Much appreciated. No problem. Thanks for having me. Are you surprised we're still having these discussions?
2: Uh, yeah, a little bit, you know, uh, the, the vaccination debate is really interesting in this country because there's a couple of things at play here. The first is that uh, Canadians are almost unanimous in terms of vaccinations are effective. If you ask them, uh, both for the individual and the community, about 90% of them say that they think that they are at least mostly effective, if not very effective. Uh, but there still tends to be this portion of the population that is concerned about uh we we offered this question about whether or not you think that the science is, is clear and whether or not you think that there are risks of serious side effects and you get about at least a quarter and sometimes about uh three and ten saying that on each of those they they have reservations so the uh the debate uh seemingly continues
0: so uh, we remember this debate way back when, when Jenny McCarthy spoke out against it and and, and started creating some, um, uh, shedding some light, perhaps not the correct light, but light on uh, the fact that people were concerned about vaccinations, uh, and that seemed to carry traction for a while, and 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 people were buying in, but then of course the medical community came back and 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 stacked with evidence and 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 research and such, and basically said that you know this whole movement is is just bizarre, and if you look past you know history over the, the last decades, uh, century and such, uh, these vaccines have 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 been used to rid the world of deadly diseases in some cases. Um, it seemed like the science was winning out. Where are we in this debate? Is the pendulum still swinging back and forth?
2: Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I, I noted at the beginning of this piece that the uh, you, know, you had to be vaccinated to be a member of George Washington's army in the American Revolution at mm-hmm. one point um, because he was more concerned about smallpox than he was uh, enemy troops. Um, so this is something that really is, is well-trodden ground. And the uh, yeah, that, that real push uh, that began in 1998 with uh, the, the report that uh, the doctor's name was Andrew Wakefield, he is no longer a doctor. Uh, and this they, has all been and,
0: disproven, hasn't it? It's all been debunked. Yeah, he
2: was, he was removed from the medical council in the U.K., and there there have been no scientific links between what he said was the, the measles, mumps, and rubella uh, vaccination and autism um, but it's still, you know, it, it does seem to hold some sway. The the public health officials still say that um, the misinformation that they, they call it um, is pretty effective. And you've seen measles since 2016 has risen 30 percent globally. And that's what we've got this uh, outbreak out here where I am in Vancouver. And we had a, a family that went to uh, Vietnam and came back and their children hadn't been vaccinated. And now there's, uh, I believe, between... 10 and 12 cases of, of measles that have broken out. And that's really driving this push for people that say that it should be mandatory. And, uh, for, for whatever reason, the, um, it's, I think it's a kind of a, a, a bit of a, a emblematic of our culture at the time right now with, with the internet. Uh, it, it's pretty easy to read both sides of the story, even if perhaps there isn't another side to the story. Um, hmm. And the, the medical officials will tell you that there is no other side to the story. Well, that's the there. thing.
0: It's like it's amazing that, as you mentioned, this story, this you know, this whole Jenny McCarthy thing that started back in 1998 in this one study, one study which has since been debunked. The doctor isn't even in business anymore. Yet it still carries more weight than all the other studies that have been presented behind it that are scientifically accurate.
2: Yeah, and and we were careful to phrase the, um, when when we did this Agree-Disagree Bank for, for this survey, we said, you know, do you agree or disagree that there's a, a real risk of serious side effects from vaccinations? Because the medical officials the of Public Health Canada, the Center for Disease Control, they're very clear that there are associated side effects from vaccinations, but sure. they are minor, that they, you might end up with a fever, you might uh, have a sore arm for a couple of days. There are things that can happen but the risk of serious side effects, uh, is, is remote. Um, and, and that message has, has been difficult, I think, to get out to, to combat, uh, the, the really kind of more, uh, not flamboyant, but the more kind of boisterous, uh, claims from, from the misinformation side, which is that, you know, these, there's all of these serious side effects and you have a lot of people who say that they're, they're not comfortable vaccinating their children now. And, and, That's interesting because the community um, bears the risk for individual choices, and there's not a a lot of cases where where that is uh, part of the calculus is that, you know, if, if you're not vaccinating your children, you're, you're perhaps putting other children at risk. Which is bizarre because that's...
0: that that's some of the reason that, that parents will say, well, you know, my kid's not vaccinated, but everybody else's is. So what's the what's the difference? I mean, there's a selfishness here that's unbelievable because, again, as you mentioned, the majority of people think that all kids should be vaccinated before they go into school. And yet, yeah, everybody but mine.
2: Yeah, and I think the, uh, the one of the things that needs to be communicated a little bit better by public health officials is that herd immunity concept. For, for measles, you have to have 95% of the population vaccinated to prevent, um, that other 5% from putting people at risk. And in Canada right now, for the last three waves of data, it's been at 89%. So we're still below that, that number in terms of what is necessary, uh, to protect the population. So I think that's what's driving this. You know, seven in ten Canadians who now say that yeah, they would support it if if vaccines were made mandatory to to attend school.
0: So another stat in this that I found surprising was um, this is more prevalent among older respondents. With 36% of those age 55 or older having concerns. You'd think the older the person is, the more they'd have the more they'd know historically on this issue and how important it is.
2: Yeah, you know, um, the, the uh, eradication of smallpox was only in uh, 1977. Exactly. So in theory, this 55-plus age group should have more experience and a little more wisdom on this issue to, to draw from. But you do see that, you know, the, the people that say that the science isn't quite clear, it's it's dropped to 1 in 5, uh, 20% for 18 to 34-year-olds, and it rises to 36% for those 55-plus so you've got 36% who say that yes, the science isn't clear, and then another six percent that you can actually add on that who say that they're not sure, because you know in theory if you're not sure about the science, then you're you're saying that it's probably not clear. Sure. Um, so that's a that's a significant portion of the population, and, and quite a bit higher than the average for the population. So it's it's interesting you to wonder you know where the information is coming from for certain people and. Uh, you know, just what's, what's driving the, the solid core of, of people in Canada, about one in four, that uh, maintain this doubt that, um, you know, is, is in some cases uh, leading to real, real impacts on, uh, on children and families and, and the communities.
0: It would be interesting to, you know, to ask these people, how would they feel about going to Vancouver and visiting that family you're talking about? Yeah, because it, you know, it, it's it. as if they're assuming, well, I would never get in contact with them. Well, geez, do you choose whether you're going to get a cold or not, or the flu, or who you come in contact with, or you spread a virus? I mean, my goodness. It just seems... Yeah,
1: I
2: think there might be a little bit of an aspect of kind of out of sight, out of mind. You know, you're you're a little bit older, you're not going to be uh, in those communities. So you're more likely to say, you know, it, people should make their own choice, or people don't have to vaccinate their children if they have, you know, these philosophical or religious beliefs that are underpinning their their desire not to. Um, it's a lot more difficult for uh, people who have to send their, their children to school and are concerned about the potential impact of, you know, not having a, a population that's inoculated. So, this, yeah, it's, it's really a fascinating kind of debate within the Canadian public. And you've got that, you know, 9 in 10 who say that they're effective, but 1 in 4 who say that regardless of that, they still have these concerns. Mm.
0: So, who is not getting vaccinated? Who is, and and what is the situation with Canadian schools? Can you get in without being vaccinated?
2: Yeah, you can. There, there is legislation that was passed um, in Ontario in 1991, I believe. But it's it's one of those things with without a lot of teeth and is loosely enforced. So, there actually is um, a protocol in place to say that that children have to have proof of inoculation um, in Ontario. But this is something that when I was researching this, I uh, it's basically not enforced anywhere in Canada. So that's kind of the drive for people who are looking for, you know, the mandate here is that, you know, if, if we do want to get serious about this, perhaps you have to have people that show that uh, they are in fact vaccinated because the, the rates are uh, a little bit lower for certain things. You know, you've got um, for the, the main four, the big four vaccinations, there's, you know, 77% of, of children, um, under the age of two are vaccinated for the diphtheria, tetanus, and and pertussis shot. So that's quite a bit lower than than herd immunity. And then for MMR, which is the one that, the big one that's getting uh, all of the publicity because of the outbreaks both in Canada and the United States right now, we're still below 90 percent. So there are people that that are you know abstaining from having their children vaccinated. Um, and there's not a, a ton that can be done in enforcement. And across the country, uh, it's it's a little bit of uh, you know, just it's the parents' choice, and and if they don't, then it's up to the schools and the municipalities to sort of figure it out and enforce their own protocols at this point.
0: Any idea, percentage-wise, how many kids in Canadian schools are not vaccinated?
2: I, I don't have that data, unfortunately. I would I would think that you know most of them are done. They try to get them done by the age of two, yeah. And you're at about eighty or ninety percent for most of the major vaccinations. So Perhaps that number drops, but it could be as high as that 10%. Um, I, would, I would think that it's probably a little bit lower because of people coming in afterwards. But that is the, the recommended timeline to get it done. And it, and it is not done by about 10 to 15% of the population.
0: So who is not getting vaccinated? Um, is it those that, that, that are uh, unsure of the science? Is it for religious reasons? Why, why not get vaccinated? What are the reasons?
2: Yeah, you know it's interesting the, the the philosophical view, like the the idea that you know people have the right to uh, make their own choices, is interesting. And, and there was actually data from Public Health Canada that suggested that fifteen percent of uh, parents told Health Canada that they believe that uh, going to a chiropractor or having naturopathy type, uh, you know, homeopathic type of uh, therapies were viable alternatives to vaccination. And I, I have a quote wow. from the Health Canada report that says that is quote not true, unquote. Um so th- there is that belief that there's these alternative practices that that can be uh implemented that really are, are not effective. Um and you know, that's that's what's leading people who are in the medical field to say, you know, maybe we do have to have some sort of mandate in place because people are uh buying into a little bit of uh the the other side of, of this debate and saying, you know, if you just go to the chiropractor you don't have to get vaccination.
0: Wow, who would have thunk that getting your back cracked has more than one uh positive influence in your life? Like where does that junk science come from? It's
2: I, I have I have told my coworker one time I went to the chiropractor and he, he mentioned that and I just thought, Well, wow. oh, that's interesting and then moved on with my day. But <laughs> yeah, so there's there's that and then there's this kind of uh, the religious beliefs that you know, I, I haven't studied that one, so I know mm, that there are right. some some issues with that. And um, but on a on a political scale, the interesting part here is that you know you've got people that are more conservative inclined who really are they're they're more likely to say that they think it should be the parents' choice. That doesn't mean that they're not you know just as likely to vaccinate their children, but they want that freedom. Whereas um, so there's about 3 in 10 for conservatives, whereas that drops to about 15% for liberal and NDP supporters who would be more inclined to support that that mandate. Um, so that's an interesting kind of aspect to the debate in terms of the, the political will. You've got a, a strong majority of, of all of these uh, political persuasions who say that they would support uh, this type of, of mandatory program and you know people abstaining for for a number of different reasons
0: so is the trend going which way i mean is this something alarming that we should keep an eye on or are people getting the message are people doing their homework
2: yeah it's interesting the the rates do look like they're quite stable um over the past five to seven years or so um they're not quite at the level that that health canada would like them to be at but what's interesting is that when you have these outbreaks um what when we asked uh this was about 10 to 12 days ago that we fielded this survey and and about 54 percent of canadians said that they were following this issue and and actually reading stories about kind of the vaccination debate and i i would suggest that that has probably risen because if you've looked at any of the media coverage over the last week it really has been well covered and it's it's been on the CDC every morning this week and uh there's outbreaks in Vancouver and in New York and I think that one of the things that comes from the the outbreak and the really unfortunate instance of, you know, children having to deal with this is that uh the coverage kind of gets out there and perhaps you'll see these tick up next year we won't, we'll have the 2017 data uh, relatively soon I would think so it'll be interesting to see if there if there is an uptick in, in 2019 um, with all of the controversy and all of the coverage that is is surrounding this debate now and whether or not that has an impact. But we, we likely won't know uh, until this year is done and then the data is published.
0: Dave Korsinski has been with us, research associate, Angus Reed Institute. Uh, their latest poll showing that the majority of Canadians support mandatory vaccines for kids going to school. But when it comes to their own, eh, it's a different story. Dave, thanks for the time as always. Much appreciated. No problem. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The interesting article in the National Post today, and the headline is student groups call for Ottawa to investigate alleged interference by Chinese officials on Canadian campuses. Uh, We've also heard little bits of this in regard to uh, the situation with the Huawei CFO uh, and being arrested uh, prior to Christmas and the influence that, uh, financially, that uh, companies like this and, uh, and such have on Canadian universities. It goes on to say, the request for a federal probe raised to a new level concerns over Beijing's attempt on molding opinion on Canadian universities. Uh, And it goes on to say, any malicious interference in Canadian affairs by foreign representatives here would be inappropriate. A federal official warned Wednesday in the wake of incidents that saw students from China angrily attack... Uh, a uh, two activists who were supporting Tibetan and Muslim cultures on Ontario at Ontario universities uh, but the spokesperson for uh, Christy Duncan Minister for responsible for universities sidestepped a call for Ontario to investigate whether Chinese diplomats are using students such students to meddle in Canadian post-secondary institutions the request for a federal probe raised eyebrows uh, considering these two uh, situations two Muslim students Student groups, uh, activists, uh, and students for a free Tibet raised the issue in a letter Wednesday to the Foreign Affairs Minister, Christia Freeland, and Public Safety Minister, Ralph Goodale. We're asking, this is a quote, we're asking for an investigation into the role of the Chinese government in these two incidents to ensure that we can freely exercise our constitutional rights. One of the cases this month, Chinese students launched a petition that garnered eleven. Thousand digital signatures calling from uh, calling for the removal of a Tibetan Canadian woman just elected to a student union uh, student union president at the University of Toronto uh, as the student herself faced a barrage of abusive online messages. So here's a student who believes in Tibetan culture uh, ran for the president of the student union University of Toronto and got eleven thousand digital signatures. Condemning her. In the other incident, five Chinese student groups acknowledged that they had been in contact with the Chinese consulate, criticized McMaster University in Hamilton for permitting a talk by a Canadian woman that highlighted the well-documented abuses against Muslims in China. There is no direct evidence the Chinese students were acting under Beijing's orders, but in online messages, the McMaster students mentioned, uh, mentioned contacting China's Toronto consulate. Uh, Freeland and Goodell's offices referred the all of this to uh, the science and sport minister who's responsible for universities. Any place of learning should be free of abuse, discrimination, har- harassment, and hate, said the press secretary in a statement. It's all import- also important to note that any malicious interference in domestic affairs by foreign representatives of Canada would be inappropriate. China's en- embassy could not be reached for comment on either statement. It denied playing any role while accusing critics of trying to stir up anti China sediment. At the same time, though, it said Beijing opposes anyone who provides support and convenience of any kind of separatist forces uh, or Tibetan independent activities. And we strongly support the just and patriotic action of Chinese students. So they're not condemning them for condemning this uh, student union president for sympathizing with Tibetan culture. Outside experts endorsed the call for the federal government to get involved, saying Ottawa has for too long paid little heed to China's. Covet, uh, 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 covert soft powered campaign. It does not seem to be quite uh, problematic if the Chinese embassy feels it can direct the activities of Chinese students in Canadian in Canada in ways not consistent with the norms of academic freedom. Uh, fascinating scenario. To talk more about all of this, uh, Jonathan Manthorpe is with us, author of The Claws of the Panda, and is with us now. Uh, Jonathan, thanks so much for the uh, time. Much appreciated.
3: My pleasure, Scott.
0: Tell us about the Claws of the Panda. Uh,
3: Well, my book just came out a few weeks ago, and it's basically about how uh, the Chinese Communist Party has launched a campaign of influence and intimidation in Canada, and in other countries as well, Australia, New Zealand, the United States, some European countries, over the last 70 years. To try to be able to influence matters that um, uh, affect uh, the, the Chinese Communist Party rule in China and, else, and its influence elsewhere, but and one of those, of course, is um, uh, one of those main areas of, of attempting to gain influence has been in, in Canadian uh, universities, colleges, and indeed schools as well. And I think uh, the, the story you just described is uh, springs out of that attempt. Uh, by the uh, Chinese Communist Party to to control particularly Chinese students at uh, Canadian universities and colleges, of which there are about 140,000 at the moment, I think.
0: How concerned should we be of this? Is this just fear-mongering, anti-China sentiment?
3: No, I don't think it is. It's been going on for a long time. There are two issues, two central issues here, I think, Scott. One is that... um, the Chinese Communist Party has launched a, a very strong um, campaign within China to uh, uh, boost nationalism and patriotism. And a part of this is because the uh, the party and the one-party state uh, doesn't quite have the legitimacy it did years ago. It needs to, uh, to drum up support, and particularly at a time when the economy is going a little haywire. The other issue is um, the control of of Chinese students here, and there's a a long a lot of evidence that. Um, the consulates and the embassy exert very strong control over students here. Now, you know, there is a legitimate level for that. You've got all these uh, young people over here in, a, in an unfamiliar uh, culture and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's quite proper that they ought to be able to uh, call the embassy and say, look, you know, I'm in trouble on this or that. I'm sure that, uh, you know, we'd expect the same thing for Canadian students studying abroad. They, would, they ought to be able to have access to Canadian Canadian diplomats if they've got problems. But the situation here is that the Chinese diplomats are exerting much, much more um, uh, control and influence than that. Uh, we've got plenty of documented cases of uh, the consulates and the embassy employing full-time spies amongst uh chinese students in canadian institutions uh just to keep track on them to make sure uh or to keep records of any who get involved in any political activities that uh, the uh, chinese government doesn't uh, doesn't agree with uh and of course the consulates and the um and the embassy they also control things such as scholarships and so these can be withdrawn from any students who who uh Get involved in activities the the, the Chinese government doesn't uh, doesn't uh, uh, doesn't agree with or doesn't like.
0: Uh, considering the amount of money that comes in with these international students, and specifically companies like Huawei that that donate to Canadian universities, how much effect control do they have as a result of that? Do we have we become too dependent on their money?
3: Yes. In a short, <laughs> short answer, um, you know, we do have some universities, and one that sticks out is the University of British Columbia, which now gets more than half of its tuition revenue from uh, Chinese students. Uh, you know, we, we, we
0: uh, How can like there them. not be an influence
3: then? Well, there is influence, yeah. of course, um, and uh, it, it, I think it's a major problem. It's become a major problem throughout Canada. The. Uh, What has happened, I think, in most provinces is that over the last few years, uh, provincial governments have cut back on uh, their funding for universities and colleges. And the university administrations have uh, reached out to uh, 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 to foreign students and to increase the number of foreign students they have in order to try and fill this gap in funding and of course it 's not only chinese students um, there are many others. I mean you remember the uh, the story a little while ago when we had had the problem with the with Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia started right. withdrawing all its students, and we suddenly discovered there were a heck of a lot of Saudi Arabians, uh, um, um, particularly medical students here. Um, so it's not just Chinese students, but, but um, the, the, the Chinese do stand out simply because of their numbers and their concentrations in some universities.
0: How does this sort of thing uh, not garner more attention? I mean, Canada is, you know, it's a land of immigrants. It's a very diverse country. Uh, we support, uh, uh, you know, various views as long as they're law abiding. Uh, here we have a group of Chinese students, 11,000 that signed up. Yeah. Like, that's an awful large number, signed a petition to keep uh, someone who is sensitive to t- Tibetan culture from right. being a student Union president. Yeah. Uh, wh- how do we react to that? should we should we be upset about that? How should Canadians be reacting here?
3: Yeah, we should be upset about it because um, you know her election was perfectly legitimate from what I can see mm-hmm. um, and it's essentially bringing, um, greater Chinese domestic politics and fighting it out on on Canadian campuses, and uh, we should not allow that. Um, how one reacts to it and who reacts to it is a more serious, a more difficult question because of you know we have the division of responsibilities over matters like education. But I mean, I it, To a certain extent, it ought to be the federal government who should look at this as uh, something of a uh, national security issue. But on the other hand, it's it's provincial governments who have the prime responsibility for education. So uh, these issues tend to fall between the cracks. And let's remember also, you know, we have things like the Confucius Institutes, and you'll recall that um, that uh, uh, McMaster University got rid of its Confucius Institute, which was uh, uh, ostensibly a Chinese uh, Language and Cultural Center, uh, f- funded by Beijing. The, the McMaster got rid of it a few years ago because um, it found that some of the values, particularly in the hiring of staff, were were not um, compatible with Canadian values. And several other uh, universities in Canada have got rid of these Confucius Institutes also. Uh, but the Confucius Institutes are also in our high schools, again funded by the uh, the Chinese government and. Uh, these institutes actually—it's the, the, made to look on the on the paper as though they're part of the Chinese Ministry of Education. They're not. They're actually come under what is known as the United Front, which is um, China's premier sort of political um, p- political promotion, political offensive uh, operation, and well, it operates worldwide. But it's now in in all their institutions. So so these um, education and education institutes institutions the Beijing government regards as a as a prime front for getting over its message about things like the occupation of Tibet, about things like its treatment of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang province. And we've got, you know, the United Nations just a few weeks ago saying that there are one million Uyghurs in uh, detention camps, in concentration camps in, in Xinjiang at the moment. And also things like the occupation of the South China Sea and uh, uh, China's claim to Taiwan, for example, and uh, you know we have a we have a very substantial population of one and a half million or so people of, of Chinese heritage in Canada who will get very upset and properly upset about all this stuff because you know the vast vast majority of them are here because are here because yeah. they don't want to be governed yeah. by the the Chinese Communist Party and then they 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 see. Um, uh, Beijing running rampant here and, uh, and exerting influence hither and yon, and it upsets a lot of people very much.
0: It's interesting how critics of this uh, piece are, are are calling this anti-China sentiment. Is it that or a human rights issue? I mean, for bringing this up, you're branded as a racist.
3: Exactly. Now, you know, um, in my book, I make it very, very clear that what we are dealing with is not China and not the Chinese people; it is the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, and I, exactly. And I refer to that throughout. For, for the which is a problem that we have. That you put your finger on.
0: Which is a problem we seem to have in this in this country in regard yeah. to the Huawei case. Which brings me to my okay. next question: How does all of this play into the Huawei case?
3: Well, I think it does because um, uh, I think that. Uh, it is there's a, another complexity there, of course. There's that the, the, there are a fair number of people who look at the uh, the American uh, um, reasons for wanting her detained and extradited, and they say, "Well, look, this is a political thing. This isn't really a uh, a legal or a criminal matter." So uh, that is that it, the Huawei case is difficult, but I think that. Um, we, what we need to do is what we've done so far and stick to the rule of law, independent judiciary, uh, and our um, commitment to international treaties. Now, you know, we then immediately get back to the other story, which is the big one for you today, and that's the whole SNC-Lavalin story, yep. which tends to imply that in certain circumstances uh, we don't follow the rule of law. Uh, mm-hmm. that uh, we're prepared to sort of bend the rule of law if the economic um, uh, inducements to do so are are too powerful. Um, and I've no doubt that, um, that uh, certainly the Chinese government is looking at the SNC-Lavalin story and is looking at yeah. uh, the uh, Huawei story and saying to itself, well, okay, you're prepared to bend the law on... Um, on a on a domestic uh, uh, issue involving you know nine thousand or more jobs, uh, why, why aren't you prepared to uh, to bend the law when it comes to the detention of uh, Meng Wanzhou? So uh, it's an interesting situation which will play out presumably in court in Vancouver in March when she's up uh, she's up her case is up again.
0: Um, uh... How does Canada address this without being uh, without being branded uh, anti china or racist right. towards china
3: i think it 's very difficult because you know the the supporters of Beijing um, uh, always it 's the first thing they they raise whenever one uh, one questions what the Beijing government is doing. It is not valid. I think we have to be very firm in Pressing back against it, but you 're quite right it 's a very difficult problem because and you know Canadians quite rightly are sensitive to 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 racism issues, and of course you know our history of treatment mm-hmm. of of, uh, of uh, people of Chinese heritage in canada is is pretty appalling um, ho- Hopefully it has changed now I think it has it's changed dramatically, but we're still very um, uh, uneasy whenever r- questions of racism are, are raised, but this is not a racist issue. This is, a, or an issue of race. This is a question about a particular a political party which runs a particular country at a particular time in its history, and we have to keep focused on that when dealing with these sort of issues. I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not about the Chinese. It's about the Communist Party of China. Exactly. Uh, back, uh, one last question. Uh, we've only got about a minute left. In regard to the Huawei CFO, how do you think this is going to end? Will, she, will she be extradited?
3: Yeah, well, I don't know, because there was a little story today seeping out of the U.S. suggesting that if uh, the, the U.S. and China get an agreement on their, their trade problems that uh, the U.S. might withdraw its uh, request for her extradition. That wouldn't surprise me. I think that she may be a bargaining chip in their trade talks. So it it may come to absolutely nothing. But otherwise, um, it's up to the court.
0: Look into the levels we've dropped. My goodness. Absolutely, Jonathan Manthorpe has been with us. Author of *The Claws of the Panda*, uh, referring to Chinese officials denying any role in the disruption of a speech at McMaster, uh, but applauded the patriotic actions uh, actions of those that took uh, took part. Jonathan, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated.